First, I should ask, do you still have more questions or more topics that you would like me to speak about? Yes. Is there a problem of uh, visualizing ourselves in the form of one of these Buddha figures without an initiation? I think that uh, more of a problem is visualizing ourselves as one of these deities without bodhicitta and an understand, some understanding of voidness. That's far more dangerous. Both of them. Not either or. Because if imagining ourselves in this form is not with the aim that this is representing my not yet happening enlightenment and I want to achieve this for, you know, out of compassion to help people. If I take it concretely, I don't understand that it uh, is dependently arising. It doesn't, you know, it's not self-established. If I practice like that, what am I doing? You know, without bodhicitta and some understanding of voidness, I'm building up the causes for a samsaric rebirth as a ghost in the form of this deity, this figure. That's the danger. So that's the biggest danger, really, and why it's so important that we are qualified, some sort of basis, and uh, not just uh, go to an initiation simply because it's being given and everybody else is going. So we can attend what people usually translate as a blessing, which is actually the word for inspiration. So we go for some inspiration. That's perfectly fine. But unless we take the vows, you haven't received the empowerment. And you have to consciously take the vows. And for preliminaries, it's important not just, I mean, what it referred to in the uh, non-Galupa traditions as the shared and unshared preliminaries. So the shared are shared with sutra. So this is all the sutra practices we've been speaking about, renunciation, bodhicitta, voidness, precious human rebirth, death and impermanence, all of this. And the unshared ones are these 100,000 prostrations and mandala offerings and vajrasattva recitation and uh, practice and uh, guru yoga. But there are many, many more besides just those four. Those are the most common four. So, why do we want to do that? You know, do these 100,000 recitations? You know, we shouldn't trivialize that. They're important. Mm-hmm. So the question is why? It's not the dues that we have to pay, the tax that we have to pay in order to practice <laughs> tantra. Not like that. Just get it over with so that we can get to the good part. You think about it, beginningless rebirth. Over that beginningless rebirth, we have built up an unbelievable amount of negative potential. You just look in this lifetime, you know, compare the negative, destructive things that we've done with the constructive things, and the destructive are far outweigh the constructive ones. We've gotten angry and yelled at somebody, and all these sort of things. Idle chatter, blah, 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 waste people's time. Do that all the time. So, these two networks, 
ordinary form, positive force and uh, deep awareness, are samsara producing. So we want them to become enlightenment producing, enlightenment building. So they're usually the terminology I use is samsara building and enlightenment building. So to be enlightening building needs to be dedicated with bodhicitta. Okay, so our samsara building forms, we have far more negative potential and force than positive networks of that. So in order to get to the point where we can even begin to sincerely develop bodhicitta, we want to weaken that negative potential and strengthen that positive potential. Because our habits are so strong for being negative. So how do you do that? From a scientific point of view, you have to build up a new neural pathway. You do that by repetition. 100,000. Or more. 100,000 just the start. The drop in the bucket compared to beginning this time. And repetition of uh, these practices is not just repeating the magic words or doing 100,000 push-ups. But uh, there has to be the state of mind that goes with it. And actually, we should also do 100,000 meditations on precious human rebirth and bodhicitta and death and impermanence and all these other things. Build up some more potential, some more force behind it. So by calling them preliminaries, that also gives uh, not a very good flavor to it because you say, well, it's preliminary. I don't need to do preliminary. Let's get to the main thing. Better translation is preparation. These are the preparatory things. The analogy that uh, Sergeant Rinpoche used to use was that if we're going to go on a journey, you have to prepare for the journey by packing your bags. So this is preparation for the spiritual journey what you're going to bring with you, which is some positive force. Build up a better habit. It's like building up a charge in a battery. You have to charge your battery. And we continue these to do these preparatory practices throughout throughout the, the Tantra practice. We always are continuing Vajrasattva and, and prostration and mandala. And guru yoga, that's part of every sadhana. So, the other thing I wanted to mention is, uh, and that really needs to be emphasized, is the importance of vows. Why are they so important? Why does it say, I will not give up these vows even at the cost of my life? You ever wonder why? A pretty heavy statement. The solution to this puzzle comes from the analysis of if everybody has been our mother, why hasn't everybody achieved enlightenment already? Given beginningless time, no beginning. So this is a very important analysis, actually, to make. So we can demonstrate logically that everybody has been our mother, right? Because you have three variables here. 
One is that uh, beginningless time, finite number of beings, and everybody's equal. These are our three parameters. Right, so everybody's equal. So, in order to be our mother, it doesn't require any effort, does it? Does it require conscious effort to be somebody's mother, to be reborn as somebody's mother, given beginningless time? No. Because if one being has not ever been our mother, then it follows that no one has ever been our mother, because everybody's equal. If one being has been our mother, then everybody has been our mother, because everybody is equal, given a finite number of beings and no beginning, infinite time. And that's because... Similarly, if one has not been our mother, then none have been my mother, because we're all equal. That's the logic. First, we're dealing with why has everybody been our mother, and then we need to analyze, is it the same situation in terms of becoming enlightened? And it's not the same. I mean, there's a lot of time, you know, no beginning, so why isn't everybody already enlightened? This is the question. And isn't it the same as everybody having been my mother? No, it's not the same. Right. I mean, we're all equal. Everybody has Buddha nature factors, finite number of beings, no beginning of time. So what's the difference between everybody having already been my mother and everybody already having attained enlightenment? So there's a difference. To be your mother doesn't require any effort. To attain enlightenment requires an awful lot of effort. So, now, what does that require? When we talk about to become enlightened requires effort, what does that require? So, you might think, well, developing bodhicitta. You always hear about developing bodhicitta for the first time. When, you know, Buddha developed bodhicitta, you know, in a previous lifetime for the first time, then, you know, you hear a whole story about how that happened. So then, my students started to question, given beginningless time, how can you have a first time of something? Right? Because originally, the first analysis was, well, it took, would take a tremendous amount of effort, willpower, to develop it for the first time. You know, and not everybody has developed it for the first time. But, as my students very wisely pointed out, given beginningless time, we have countless number of times developed bodhicitta and given it up. So first time just is our Western way of thinking, first time. Actually, it means in any particular time, when you develop bodhicitta, there was a first within that sequence, but not an absolute first. So, we were understanding first in a Western way of first. First, if there's a beginning. But you have to understand first in the context of no beginning. The difference between saying that uh, there are beginningless universes and each one starts at first with a big bang. It's not as though there's only one big bang. 
because there's only one absolute beginning, but first thing that will happen for each sequence is a big bang. That's how we would need to understand the word first. You see how important it is to dissociate our Western concepts from the, the Buddhist concepts. Not the absolute first time. So when it, when all these accounts of, you know, when Buddha first developed bodhicitta, that was in one particular sequence. That sequence which actually brought him to enlightenment. But before that, first developed it and then gave it up. And then developed it again and then gave it up because it's beginningless time. Yes. And everybody has done that. So this is the critical thing. The critical thing is not so much developing it as not giving it up. So you have to keep that bodhicitta, sutra point of view, three countless eons, three zillion eons of building up positive force with unlabored bodhicitta. That's where it starts. You don't have to put effort. You don't have to go through the seven steps of the seven-part cause and effect. You've done that so often that instantly you have bodhicitta. That's when it starts. Then three countless eons of building up positive force. And through all of that, you have to never give up bodhicitta. So in order to not give, give up bodhicitta, that's keeping the vows. You know, what are the, the important vows here? Never give up bodhicitta and don't have a, a distorted antagonistic view. In other words, you know, hostile view toward voidness. You know, the voidness, you know, that's stupid. It's incorrect. Not give it up in that particular sequence and keep in not that particular sequence. Because if you give it up, you lose the bodhisattva vows and then you have to start all over again. You know, Groundhog Day, just over and over and over again. So, even at the cost of my life, I'm not going to give up the vows. Because then I go back to zero. So I want to keep them. You know, I'm not going to give up bodhicitta. Not going to, you know, think voidness is stupid. And the tantric vows, you know, to be mindful of voidness every day. And also not give up bodhicitta. The most important vows. That's why the vows are so, so important. And that's why not everybody has become enlightened already, because that's really difficult. You have to keep it for three zillion eons. And not give it up. Then, teachings make sense. Why it's so important. So, analysis. His Holiness says over and over again, analytical meditation. Analyze, try to figure it out. And what was very helpful is we, we did it in, as a class. Because different people get different points of view, and we analyzed it and came up with a solution in class. Right. So he's saying that uh, it's easier to develop the understanding of voidness than to keep bodhicitta 
because once you have realized voidness, then it's obvious, you know, so you're not going to give that up. But bodhicitta, you can very easily give up, you get discouraged, you give it up. Tantric vows, well, you know, give up loving any sentient being. You know, well, this one, you know, oh, I hate this person, they're horrible, I'm not going to work to help them. Bop. You've weakened your tantric vows. But you lose these vows when you give up bodhicitta or deny voidness. And you take the bodhisattva and tantric vows from now until my enlightenment. So even if we're reborn as a chicken, still dormant on the mental continuum, uh, the bodhisattva vows, we haven't given them up. They're just dormant. In a precious human life, then they just have to be reactivated. So, initiation, empowerment, very, very important. It says when we take the vows, to take the vows and to be able to keep them, we have to have built up enough positive force and weaken the negative force because it is due to the negative force and ignorance that will give them up. So you want to weaken that negative force and strengthen the positive force so you have a better chance of not giving up the vows. Right? And if we haven't really developed bodhicitta, there's no question about whether giving it up or not. There's nothing to give up. <laughs> right? And to be mindful of voidness every day, if we have no idea what it is, the vow doesn't have very much meaning. And if we haven't dealt already with anger, then the vow, the tantric vow, not to get angry at you know, my Vajra brothers and sisters, those who have also received initiation from the same teacher, it's impossible. So, very important if we're going to take the vows and keep the vows, that we have some development of bodhicitta and some understanding of voidness and renunciation of our negative habits, and so on. So for most of us, we haven't really developed proper bodhicitta, but at least we have the aspiration for that. Some idea. Some idea of voidness. So we have the aspiration, aspiring bodhicitta. You know, I'm aiming for enlightenment. You know, wonderful. But then the actual engaged bodhicitta is when you have the vows. Engage bodhicittas, you know, you can understand it as entering into the practice, taking the bodhisattva vows. And then that word engaging is the word avatar. Yes, avatara. So it's avatar. So we are going to be an avatar. We are going to embody bodhisattva way of life. That's what it means. The uh, word that's, in, that's translated as engaged, yeah, jukpa. Yeah, yeah. Bodhicharya avatara. Madhyamaka yeah, yeah. avatara. It's yeah, yeah. the same word. Avatar. And Madhyamaka avatara. Well, yeah, to those, embody as an avatar. Madhyamaka or bodhicitta. So that's what we want to do with the vows. Now I'm going to embody 
be an avatar of a bodhisattva. Put that in my life. So in a sense, engaging in the practice. But it's not just, you know, before that I don't do anything and now I'm going to do something. Before that I'm not going to help anybody and now I'm going to help others. Not like that. But now really do it. It's engaging bodhicitta. So an avatar of bodhicitta. And how do you do that? By being a bodhisattva. A bodhisattva is somebody who has unlabored bodhicitta. So before that, we have a facsimile of it. So the whole point of this discussion is to underline the importance of the vows in Tantra and why you need the empowerment, because that's when you take the vows, when you receive the vows. The vows are a vowed restraint. It keeps us to the practice. So it's like Ulysses being bound with the rope to the mast of the boat so that he's not going to be seduced by the siren women. Yes, and it sets the boundaries. The vows set the boundaries beyond which I'm not going to go. So let us focus for a few moments on the importance of the vows and the central part why there is no empowerment without taking the vows. And you have to do it consciously. Not just you sit there and then at the end you're told, oh, but you took the vows. I didn't know I took the vows. What are they?
Okay, so at our level, at least what we can try to do, if we haven't developed bodhicitta yet, or the correct understanding of voidness, that I'm not going to give up striving for it, working toward it. That we can do now. So, on this level, we can take these vows and try to keep them. So the real thing will be when we actually have developed bodhicitta and some correct understanding of voidness. First, we have to really work toward that. So I'm really going to work toward that. Every day. And to make it more efficient, Tantra method, imagine that I'm already there, not yet happening. Level of these things. So let's end here for today, unless you have some pressing question about this. Something to really have let sink in. That uh, you know, these vows and this tantra stuff is really serious. Not just a game. Not just, you know, go along because everybody else is going along. Or a big festival. Serious. So we think whatever understanding, whatever positive forces come from this may go deeper and deeper and act as a cause for everyone to achieve the enlightened state of a Buddha for the benefit of the soul.